Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today, we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The work of the True 316 Foundation is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Listeners like you are joining us as members of the True 316 Foundation and support the work to true the verse of Genesis 316 and the seven key passages on women and men. It turns out, when Genesis 316 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And at the end of this episode, we'll tell you about a special gift we have for new members. And now, enjoy today's episode of the Eden Podcast. On the last episode of Season 9, titled Joy Story, I interviewed Dr. Joy Fleming as she recounted how God led her to study Genesis chapters 2 and 3 for her doctoral dissertation at the University of Strasbourg, France. If you'd like to get a copy of her dissertation, visit our website at true316.com shop. After teaching in French-speaking Africa as professor of Old Testament studies, when we returned to the States, she was asked to condense her 407-page dissertation for the average reader. She did, and it appeared as her book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. We're serializing that book for Season 10 on the Eden Podcast. Chapter 3, Sin at Work, Genesis 3. The story of what occurred next in the Garden of Eden is tragic indeed. The man and the woman are attacked by Satan. Deceived by the father of lies, the woman eats the forbidden fruit. Not deceived, the man eats and joins in Satan's rebellion against their sovereign Lord. This tragedy, what led to it, and its aftermath are recounted in the prime sections of the chiasm of this story. These are the episodes in which sin is at work and God's work of creation is over. They constitute the downward slope of the bell-shaped curve described near the beginning of this book. We have seen that God did not build any hierarchicalized authority structure into the relationship between man and woman originally in creation. But did he institute one after they sinned? Some would assert that woman was morally weak and needed spiritual leadership. Others believe God's words in Genesis 3.16 were a pronouncement placing her under a curse. Some believe the man was cursed in 3.17-19. The way to evaluate these suggestions is by assessing the text of Genesis 3. Along the way, we will address related issues. In the history of the treatment of this text, misconceptions have arisen that have become interwoven into the fabric of church tradition in various quarters, and these traditions have been very influential in shaping attitudes about women and men and their relationship to one another. Episode C Prime, The Subtle Serpent, Chapter 3, Verses 1 through 5. The serpent, introduced in Genesis 3.1, is one of God's creatures who would have been seen and named by man during the naming session of Genesis 2.20 in episode C. But this particular serpent is different and animated in a special way. He speaks and has a will. He purposefully tempts the woman and the man. You is plural in 3.1, 4, and 5. And he is at odds with God. 
He is wily in his manner of engaging conversation and casting doubt on the loving and benevolent character of God. He encourages reflection in such a way as to challenge authority and sow doubt. To think that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree. As the serpent states it, the command is virtually impossible to obey. But God had said quite the opposite. And the woman comes to the defense of the word of God and relays the command of God. The serpent flatly contradicts both the woman and the truth of God's words. You shall not surely die. Her words expressed faithful and uncompromising obedience to God. His words are an attack of incredible boldness. He immediately presses his attack by turning on God. For our God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This serpent claims to know what God knows, and God is holding out on them. God told them it would be bad to eat of the one tree. The serpent claims to know more. It would really be good. They would attain greater knowledge and become like God. The serpent's claims are enormous. To have God's knowledge and to change the meaning of the forbidden tree. The serpent never speaks again in the story, though God will speak to him later. Episode B Prime, The Transgression, Chapter 3, Verses 6 and 7. The tree seemed to correspond to what the serpent had said. It was attractive and appealing in three ways, as food, nourishment, to the eyes, aesthetically pleasing, and to have success, cleverness, or insight. With stunning brevity, using only eight Hebrew words, the writer tells us that the woman and the man both eat of the forbidden fruit, and the universe is turned upside down. The fact that they both ate remains to the credit of neither, yet God had already squarely placed the blame on each one. For the act of disobedience involved a concrete action attesting to each violator's guilt. Each one had a free will which could and must be employed, and each was personally responsible to choose whether or not to eat of the one forbidden tree. What was the impact of the disobedience on the woman and the man themselves? God had said they would die, and they do. They don't keel over like Snow White when she ate the poisoned apple but they begin the process of physical deterioration that will afflict their bodies until the day they expire. What they notice, besides the fact that they are still alive, is that they are naked, and that exposure now makes them feel ashamed. Instead of being pleased, proud, and happy with the knowledge they have acquired, they cover themselves, and they flee and hide from the presence of God at His approach. Their spiritual death is far more apparent than their physical death. Having surveyed the text to this point, we are in a position to address some of the faulty conclusions that have been propagated over time. Who was tempted? What is apparent from any text is that the serpent engaged the woman in conversation. What is not so apparent from the English text is the likelihood of the man's presence. The basis for this is twofold. First, all of the pronouns in the interaction of verses 1 through 5 are plural. Though he engages the woman in conversation, he uses the plural Hebrew second-person pronouns when he speaks. For example, the serpent said, You, plural, will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you, plural, eat from it, your, plural, eyes will be opened. You, plural, will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent appears to be speaking with both of them. 
Secondly, verse 6 adds the detail that she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Thus, it is likely that the man was present at the time of the temptation. What could be deduced from the fact that the woman was the first to eat of the fruit? Some have suggested that women are more susceptible to temptation than men. The serpent, it is argued, engaged the woman in dialogue for this reason. Martin Luther, following Augustine, an older Jewish tradition, adhered to the view that the serpent approached the woman because he thought she was morally weaker, more prone to sin. On the other hand, a Roman Catholic tradition, echoing sentiments attributed to Irenaeus, takes the opposite position, namely that the woman was addressed because she was thought to be the stronger of the two. If she could be made to sin, the man's ruin would be easily achieved. After all, he partook of the fruit without a word of contradiction. A theory which is in keeping with the text is one proposed by Gerhardus Voss. The tempter addresses himself to the woman, probably not because she is more open to temptation or prone to sin, for that is hardly the conception of the Old Testament elsewhere. The reason may have lain in this, that the woman had not personally received the prohibition from God as Adam had, compared to 16 and 17. End of quotation. The biblical text does not tell us just how she received the divine command. There may have been a difference between the two people in the garden relating to how each received the divine command. Any such difference, though, would have been one of personal experience, not one of ontology, character, or basic moral weakness. And such a difference need not have stimulated any problem or conflict. Yet the subtle serpent may have sought to take advantage of such a difference of experience when he approached the woman. The woman and the man are nonetheless each held fully accountable for obedience or lack of obedience to God's command. What was the sin? God had established the commandment clearly in 2.17. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Eating from the forbidden tree was the sin. Some have suggested that there was a second sin precipitating the fall. They suggest the woman committed a prior sin of acting independently making a decision on her own initiative. Supposedly, the man was the leader, and she should not have spoken. But the text does not support this contention. The problem of the man and of the woman was that they acted independently of God, eating the fruit in spite of his prescription. Later, in 3.17, the man's judgment was explained on this basis. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. The man's culpability is not based on the fact that he gave in to his wife simply because she was his wife. That is, choosing his wife's suggestion was wrong, not because she was inherently bad, because she had less decision-making rights or spiritual authority in the family than he, or because she was never to be listened to. He sinned because, like the woman, he followed a voice other than God's. He disobeyed the divine injunction. Who did the tempting? There is a remarkably strong tradition in theology, literature, and art that portrays the woman as a second tempter, the man's temptress. She is pictured as evil, purposely seeking to bring about the fall of the man. This is a common theme of medieval times. European cathedrals from this period have sculptures of the temptress guilefully seeking to corrupt the man. Lovely of form and wearing a smile, her true character is revealed when one looks at the back of her sculptured representation. She is deformed by boils and cancers and is draped with writhing snakes embedded in her back. 
The image persists in the writings of modern commentators who embellish the story by impugning the woman's motives. Or they suggest that the man made a choice between his love for the creature and his love for the creator when he took the fruit. But the serpent is the real tempter here. He has cast enough doubt to get them both to sin. What is the result? Each one eats, verses 6 and 7. Each one disobeys God. Each one dies. The focus of the biblical text is on the serpent, who is the tempter. Scripture says that the serpent was the crafty one. He was the one with the diabolical motives. The woman was deceived by the serpent, Genesis 3.13, 2 Corinthians 11.3, 1 Timothy 2.14. After eating the fruit, she gave some to her husband. There is no indication of malicious intent in her sharing with her husband what she thought was good. Therefore, to present the woman as temptress is an unfair image and one that has no basis in the text. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast, brought to you by the members of the True 316 Foundation. Research into the Old and New Testaments by Dr. Joy Fleming and Reverend Bruce C.E. Fleming forms the base of all our work. Joy is a former Old Testament professor and is a practicing licensed psychologist. Bruce is the author of the Eden Book series, which starts with Book 1, The Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3. to we invite you to become a donor member of the True 316 Foundation as together we seek to true the verse of Genesis 316 and related passages. When you become a member, we'll send you an autographed copy of the Book of Eden. Sign up today by going to true316.com member. That's tru316.com member.